Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 69. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm very excited to introduce my special guest, Ray Markika. Ray, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm not used to being a passenger in a car, so as long as you let me drive, we'll be fine. Okay. Well, I promise I'll let you do some of the driving here. Ray Markika is owner of Roadster Salon, a restoration company that focuses on building the finest Fiat Roadsters available. His company reflects the passion of its founder, Ray's father, John Markika, who was a sports car enthusiast with a fondness for all things Italian. John's affection for Italian sports cars was passed on to his son, Ray, who first sold and restored Fiat, MG, and Alfa Romeo sports cars as a hobby while he was in college. Ray began helping his father in the business about 10 years ago. Each year, the number of projects and their scope increased, and soon, Roadster Salon had grown from a retirement hobby to the largest Fiat-based restoration company in North America. When John took ill in 2010, Ray stepped in to provide support and direction. And sadly, John passed away in 2011. So Ray and his wife, Chris, stepped in full-time and personally supervised every phase of the restoration process. Rob Baird, production manager, who's been with the company for over eight years, along with the team at Roaster Salon, are a skilled and talented group of automotive enthusiasts and craftsmen who focus on creating their clients' dreams. Their spiders provide a dose of nostalgia and exclusivity that's impossible to surpass with the contemporary sports car. So, Ray, I've told our listeners just a little about you. Please take some time and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, that was a wonderful introduction, and, and uh, thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, the story of, uh, of of Roadster Salon uh, has some serendipity to it, as you mentioned very uh, eloquently. I uh, I spent my early uh, working years uh, in college working uh, part time while I was in school at a uh, Fiat Launch uh, Alfa Romeo dealership in sales. And even going back to my earlier uh, childhood and, and times when uh, I was in high school, there were always Italian cars around the house. My dad, as you mentioned, uh, had a fondness for everything Italian. You know, when I grew up, uh, the only kind of music that uh, that he would ever play in the house, if it wasn't by Sinatra or uh, Sergio Franchi or some famous uh, <laughs> uh, Italian crooner, it, it wasn't allowed to be played, and uh, we always had some type of Italian car project in, in the garage. I, I realized early on that I wasn't very mechanically inclined myself, so 
I had to instill the work and the efforts of, of other people to, uh, you know, to get things done. But the first car that I was ever really involved in restoring from top to bottom was a, was a little uh, Fiat Spider that I did in college. I ended up selling it to a, uh, a college friend, and, and I, I think that almost 30 years later, I, I think the guy still has the car. Oh, that's so, cool. Very cool. But I learned early on that, that there's a lot of work that goes into a lot of different skill sets that go into restoring a car properly from, from not, not just the mechanical work, but interior craftsmanship and uh, paint and body work. And, and I think it's a rare individual that has all of those skill sets. So uh, I learned early on that, you know, you have to have buddies to help. I saw that even in the work that, uh, that my father did where, you know, he, he had uh, help from uh, my uncle Dominic with mechanical and, you know, help with uh, other guys uh, who had more expertise and skill than he did with, uh, with body work. And it was a bunch of, uh, of different elements that all came together, just like he was uh, cooking uh, his, his special sauce. You know, you have all the different ingredients when you make pasta. And oh, yeah. uh, he'd, he'd have help from, from different sources to kind of put everything together. But, you know, the, the end product was quite special. From my perspective, you know, again, echoing what I what I said uh, initially, I, I think one of the biggest challenges that that we had when we uh, when I started getting involved with this uh, full time, I, I came from a very dissimilar uh, industry. I had a, at that point, I'd owned uh, my own business for uh, for close to twenty years, and uh, it was a, a retail business where we almost constantly had to reinvent ourselves to to stay ahead of our competitors. And the first thing that I noticed that was very very clear when when I became more involved with Roaster Salon is that the process needed to be repeatable. My dad was a really colorful guy. Uh, it was a business, as you mentioned, that he started in his retirement. And I don't think that he ever really cared if he made money or not doing it, <laughs> or, or more to the point, if it was even sustainable. He never did two cars exactly the same way. And I, I, I think that that in and of itself was one of the big challenges when we got started was, how, how do we make this process repeatable? How do we streamline it? How do we bring our level of quality to a high standard on every single car that we do? And it's been a learning process in, in many different respects, from trying to find the right people uh, to employ, making sure that they all have the right kind of temperament and skill sets. You know, specifically, just because a guy is a great mechanic doesn't mean that he necessarily has the right type of temperament or attitude to work on an Italian car. Every one of these cars have their own uh, sort of unique personality and, and, and issues with bringing them back to life after, in many cases, sitting for quite a few years. And you have a, a mechanic that was used to working on a Porsche or working on some other type of, of, uh, uh, of mark, and he comes over here and he's trying to change parts. Well, that doesn't really work on these cars. You know, there has to be some, some thought in, in exactly what you're touching and what you're changing and, and, and understanding where those but new parts are going to come from. And it's just, it's a, it's a very, very different mindset. And the first few years we went through a fair number of mechanics who just didn't have the right approach, didn't have the right kind of attitude or patience. You get frustrated easily. It's not the, it's not necessarily the, the, the right type of car to work on. That's for sure. Oh yes. Italian cars do have their, uh, their challenge for sure. And there's a couple of great things you hit on there from an entrepreneurial and business standpoint. One was scalability. And that ties back into systems procedures, having the right team on board, and being able to pivot and change your business as you're moving along. I suspect that that 
history of your other company, the retail company, of having to reinvent yourself was a big part of it. But I love the way that that is all incorporated into this new challenge in life. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Ray, take the wheel. (laughs) Thanks. To paraphrase Winston Churchill, success is going from one failure to another without losing enthusiasm. (laughs) And uh, I I remember hearing that many years ago. It's a quote that that really uh, uh, hit home with me. I, I, I think I remember somebody telling me that Colonel Sanders was rejected something like a thousand times before he found a backer for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Sure. And you look at somebody like Donald Trump, how many how many times was he turned down for loans? How many times did he file bankruptcy even, you know, going from, from one project to another? Yep. Uh, my dad my dad dropped out of medical school and spent his entire life uh, working in corporate America. He was in the pharmaceutical industry. And I grew up listening to him gripe about his bosses. Uh, oh, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, he's, he's kind of a frustrated guy in, 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 his, in his real work life. He wanted me to be my own man, and, and he encouraged me to be an entrepreneur. He, he started doing that at a, at a very, very young age, where most kids, I think, get some type of an allowance. I always had very expensive tastes. I, I, I always wanted things that were beyond what a typical 12-year-old or 16-year-old or whatever uh, would, would want he would encourage me to devise ways that I would be able to earn enough money somehow to be able to afford this elusive thing that, that I wanted. Oh, spectacular. There's a word that he used, and it wasn't a real word, but it was called, he'd say, when I'd ask for something, he would say to me, well, that's made out of unobtainium. <laughs> and and uh, he, would, he would try to encourage me to figure out some way that I could get it. As a teenager, I used to, for example, a lot of kids cut lawns. Well, I didn't just cut lawns. I figured out a way to to get five of my friends to take their lawn mowers and uh, cut lawns along with me, and I would get a percentage of of uh, <laughs> of their business. Okay, Tom uh, Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went too, but uh, it, it was a, it was a way that I could kind of clone myself and cover more territory in the neighborhood. Yeah, no, uh, you figured and, it out at a young age. That's fantastic. You know, when I uh, when I was in college, you know, same thing. I I started getting involved with buying cars that uh, that no one wanted and, and fixing them up and, and selling them for profit. Uh, you know, as a, again, that kind of uh, that, that kind of spirit has has carried me really through my entire adult life. I, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I, I didn't just work with my father. At, at one time, I was a commodities trader. Boy, that's the that's the very definition of. of uh, of being a, a capitalist and an entrepreneur is working on Wall Street. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I spent some time, a better part of 20 years, uh, in, in a retail business where uh, the competition was fierce and, and where, we, where we constantly had to reinvent ourselves. This job that, that I have right now, working with cars, uh, is, is really the, the culmination of, of, uh, of many years of entrepreneurship. Well, it sure sounds like it. And I love that quote because... Again, if you look at many, many companies and how many times they went up to bat, how many times they swung, Babe Ruth always said he struck out more times than he hit a home run. You got to swing the bat. And uh, Dyson's another example. I believe they, their first vacuum, they tried 500 times or more to make something work until it finally 
finally work. So great success quote. I love the way you've incorporated that into your life. Would you share with us a story that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us about that pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy. (laughs) Well, I got the bug for cars at a very, very young age. From my perspective, I think entrepreneurs in general, they want to be unique. I think we're, we're turned off by anything that is pedestrian or average. You know, we, we aspire to have bigger and better things. And in general, we're not very easily satisfied. So I think my attitude toward cars and business and, and life in general, it follows that path. So from my side of things, you know, the, the very, very first car that I owned was uh, an Italian car. I think one turned into another, turned into another, and and uh, I think my first uh, uh, real real taste of uh, an exotic car was uh, was in the early '80s when I had parlayed uh, a couple of Fiats uh, into a, a Di Tommaso uh, Pantera, Ooh, cool. and it was an it was an absolute brat, and it barely ran. But I had a, a, a tremendous amount of fun with that car. My father hated it. He called it a, an Italian coffin. Mm-hmm. He, he absolutely hated the car because he thought it had way too much performance for a young driver. But that, that car is the one that, that really did it for me early on. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love the Pantera. The Mongusta as well. The De Tomaso Mongusta was always one of my favorites as well. So, Ray, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. And I want to crawl under the hood and, and get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced that pushed you almost to your breaking point. But more importantly, share with us how you overcame that situation and, and what you learned from it. Well, I think taking over roads for salons and my dad uh, when he passed away, that, that would be the first thing that, that, that comes to mind. Uh, as I mentioned, I had an unrelated business with my wife uh, that, that I owned for many years that had kind of run its course. I think we had it got to the point where I was just losing my passion for it, and I was at a crossroads trying to decide whether I wanted to continue with the status quo or move forward. And as my dad, uh, as his health deteriorated, I, I was faced with the reality that I could not run two businesses, two dissimilar businesses at the same time, and, and I had to make a choice. And I, I think that the, the fear of the unknown is, is, is a very, very powerful emotion. I had, I had, even as an entrepreneur, I had quite a bit of, of trepidation of leaving one business and one industry and getting full time in another one, uh, into another one that was completely unrelated. And my first year with Roadster Salon was extremely stressful because there was so much in my mind that needed to be changed and refined. My dad uh, approached the business as a, as a hobby. And, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he never built two cars exactly the same way. Uh, he didn't really care if he made money. So, uh, making that process repeatable was probably the biggest uh, the biggest challenge. How, how we were going to be able to take something that was uh, really a hobby and make it become something that that we could repeat car after car with a very very high level of quality and and do it with with even a modicum of profitability. That was uh, that was absolutely the biggest challenge that I think I've had in uh, in all my years of business. You know, oh. with, with most with most companies. When you're selling a product, you, you go to a source, you, you, you pay a specific price for that product, you put your, uh, you know, your, your, your markup into that amount, whether it's just a retail markup or, uh, you know, whatever you're doing to that product before you sell it. The problem that we have is that the cost of our product is so variable that no two chassis cost us exactly the same amount of money. 
what we do, we offer our cars at a predetermined fixed price. How can we go through this process where every single car that we sell, if it's package A or package B or package C, can consistently be sold for the same amount of money and and still have it result in some level of profitability? Especially uh, when your cost of goods is a moving target. Absolutely. So this was this is what uh, in our you know in our first uh, year of uh, uh, of business uh, uh, you know under under my uh, supervision, this is the, the the most difficult thing that we that we had to sort out. I love the fact that you thought of this process as a repeatable systems procedure type process, putting things in place, people in place, the right team to make it happen. So great story. Ray, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. Would you share a story with us when you had a real aha moment in this business, a time when you realized that, you know what, I think we're going to make it. I think this is going to work. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into the success that it is. That's a great question. One thing that my dad could never quite wrap his head around was how do you spend more money on a restoration than what the car might ultimately be worth when it's finished? Conceptually, this was uh, a real hindrance when we first started out because our most expensive car uh, was right around $30,000, and that included the cost of the car. So just for the sake of conversation, if, if we paid $10,000 for the chassis, that left us about $20,000 to restore it. And we quickly found out that the demands of our, of, our, of our customers, what their expectations were, quickly outstripped what $20,000 was going to be able to accomplish. So now here we are, uh, you know, two or three years later, and we're building cars that are dictated by what the customers want and what they're willing to pay for. So that correlation between what the car is worth and what it costs us to do, that kind of went out the window. Yeah. Um, so essentially now we've become a modifier of cars rather than uh, a restorer. Uh, currently, our average car is, is over $50,000, and some of our projects approach double that amount of money. Now, now, how did that happen? Well, the, the, the irony is, even though we're, we're the biggest in what we do, by and large, most of our customers aren't Fiat guys. Most of our customers are people who just love the, the look of the car, the, the Italian styling, the, the crisp Pinotino lines. They're just in love with the way that the car looks, but they drive a BMW, they drive a Range Rover during the week, and they don't want to feel like they're falling off of a cliff when they get into one of our cars. So there are uh, some, some very unique and, and technically innovative engineering things that, that we do with these cars to make them drive and look and feel like something more contemporary. So as the customer's expectations have increased, we've had to adjust our approach and, and, and our marketing to reflect that. A lot of people who think about car restoration, and I've heard a lot of people on this show that have said, buy a car that's already restored. For goodness sake, don't do it yourself because the price far exceeds the value. But for many people, it's a passion. And in this case, for what you guys are building, you're building dreams for people. And so they get into something that they want a different experience. They want that Italian. They put the string back gloves on and they go to a different place. So you are creating a uh, dreams and experiences for people. I love that. What was your first really special car? And could you maybe share a memory you had with that vehicle? Oh, you bet. We talked a little earlier about uh, about the Pantera, but that wasn't really. I mean, that wasn't really a car that we restored or, or did much with, and I didn't really have it for uh, for very long. But in the mid '90s, my dad and I found a 1976 Lancia Scorpion, a, a little 
mid-engine car that never really sold that many of and, and went largely unnoticed and unloved here in the States. In Europe, it was much more popular. And in fact, they, they built a, a rally version of that car that won uh, four or five world rally championships. Oh, yeah. And, famous, uh, famous car. <laughs> you, you bet. The 037. Yep. Uh, it's just an interesting story. So uh, we found one of these cars that we decided to do kind of a one-off uh, version of uh, that mimicked the engine and some of the same performance features that the uh, that the rally car had. As a matter of fact, uh, pictures of that car are still on our website. Uh, interestingly, I own that car twice, and one day I may own it a third time. Uh, <laughs> the first time after we finished the car, I, I'd only uh, had it uh, finished for, gosh, a very, very short period of time, and a friend of mine absolutely would not leave me alone. I mean, every time he came by my house, I want the car, I want the car, I want the car. So I begrudgingly I agreed to sell it to him with the one condition where I made him promise that he ever got tired of it. Yeah, that first rights or refusal. <laughs> yeah, that he would call me and let me buy it back from him. So five years later, I got a telephone call. Hey, you know, my needs have changed. My son's going off to college, yada, yada, yada. He said, uh, would you be interested in buying it back? So I bought it back, and I spent six months fixing some of the things that he broke and <laughs> that he sort of personalized for himself that were just all wrong for the car. Uh, I spent about six months sorting it out, kind of getting it down near perfect. Uh, and this is just a, a very, very cool car. You know, a tiny little 2,000-pound car with 250 horsepower, 16-valve uh, turbo motor in it. Great fun. Yeah. I uh, drove it drove it more the second time. I kept it for another three or four years. In 2008, I sold it a second time to a collector with the same arrangement. Well, the other day, I got a phone call from the same guy <laughs> that said, Hey, uh, would you be interested in buying this car back again? I'm mulling it. Uh, I'm mulling it over. You know, obviously my circumstances change with uh, with what we're doing with convertibles and uh, and you know, so my my resources for having frivolous toys like that aren't really the same as they were back then. But sure. I'm thinking about it. Well, that's cool, and it's a great segue to my next question about seller's remorse. Is there a car that you've let go that you really wish you could have back? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, a very easy one. Uh, a, a few years back, I was uh, I was driving one of my uh, one of my kids to school. A guy had a 1969 Jaguar XKE convertible that was sitting out on his front in his front yard with a sign on it that said "Divorce Forces Sale." <laughs> so I, I, I now th- this car was in very very nice uh, uh, original condition. It was tired, needed help, needed work. After some very, very quick uh, negotiating, I bought the car for about $6,500. My dad and I, not being the, the British car aficionados, we got the help from a few friends. We put the car uh, back together. We took care of the paint, and we sold the car for about $25,000, which, you know, back then, uh, that was a, hey, you know, it was a, I think we, we made about $10,000 on the car, and, and we thought, hey, this is this is pretty neat. Yeah. But that same that same car today, it would have been uh, in, in the condition that the car was in, and, and with the work that we put into it, that same car today is probably worth four or five times that amount of money. Sure. So yeah. that one, that one, I look at look at as, as the one that got away. Yeah. Well, sometimes they do. Many times they do. But I always tell people, you really can't look back other than on the fond memories, and you got to keep looking forward. So uh, great story. I love that. I have my own divorce sales story, not my divorce. I've been married 30 years uh, come Monday, 
but uh, I bought a car that same way. But that's another story for another time. You see, I'm still with the same same girl from college, so we're, we're the same in that regard. There you go. We're two very fortunate men. Is there a current project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Oh, very, very much so. Uh, we're we're uh, uh, we're in some some very very uh, interesting territory right now because as our customers are are asking us to push the envelope with building these spiders to a more current standard. What we're working on right now, this is a this is a double secret project that that I'm sharing with with you and your listeners. Well, thank you. Uh, but but what we're doing right now is we're working on some reverse engineering uh, from the new uh, Fiat uh, 500A bars. Oh. With the, the project started, uh, I, I went and, and uh, purchased a brand new one for my wife to drive, which she absolutely loves. And we started taking some measurements and doing some interesting little R&D and discovered that a lot of the parts that are on that car are transplantable uh, into the uh, the spider. Oh, wow. So the next thing that we did is we, we went and we purchased a, a, a new one that had been uh, had been wrecked and couldn't be brought back onto the road again. And right now we're in the process of taking that car apart and uh, and doing a uh, a transplant, including uh, the drivetrain, uh, all the uh, electrical bits, the braking, some suspension components, pretty much the entire car uh, into a uh, 1984 Pininfarina Spider chassis. We have a, a celeb client uh, who is very, very excited about us doing this for him and is willing to write the check. It's going to be a pretty big check, but he's willing to write the check for us to do all the R&D for him and to uh, to turn this into a real car. So check back with me in about six months, and I'll tell you if it actually ended up being possible or not, but right now it's looking good. Oh, that is exciting. I love that story, and thanks for sharing that super secret story with us. Uh, we'll just keep it between us and the listeners, okay? But uh, There you go. There I love you that. Go. You know, one of my past guests, Henry Reisner of Intermechanica Speedsters, they build replica Porsche Speedsters and Roadsters and Klubelwagens. He did a lot of the same thing, where they started integrating water-cooled engines into the cars, more horsepower, turbocharged engines, uh, even in some cases putting 911 engines in the cars instead of Type 1 Volkswagen engines. So I love what you're doing. Once again, Ray, you're pivoting, you're moving, you're changing, and that's the way to keep ahead of competition. That's the way to keep business going. Absolutely spectacular. Now, here's a funny question for you. If you were a car, I kind of think I know the country you'd be from, but we'll see. What kind of car would you be and why? Gosh, you're serving me up some softballs here. That's yeah. another easy one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and, and obviously, one of our new Pantrina Spiders, that would be what I would want. Um, yeah. A little older, still handsome, fresh, a lot of life under the hood. Yeah. There you go. There you and, go. <laughs> and, uh, if I was, if I was going to be a car, that'd be it. Chabella, I love it. I love it. So, Ray, we're up to the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I'm here. You bet. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Wow. Uh, that's a great question. You actually, you actually touched on it uh, earlier in the uh, interview when you were talking about, uh, you know, if you're interested in a classic car, buy one that's already been restored. Uh, don't, don't do it yourself. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I would echo that. I think it's so difficult... But people don't value their own time. You know, when they when they look at 
oh, I think I can do this for however many hundreds of hours and I can save a bunch of money. They, they don't put a value on their own time and, and, and how long it's really going to take to do. And I, I think only the rarest of individuals actually has all of the different skill sets that are necessary to restore a car. I think you have to be a, a you have to have vision. You have to be a great general contractor and, and know where your expertise ends and someone else's begins, coordinating all of that and putting all that together. And uh, I, I think you're much better off if you want a spider done to a high standard dealing with someone like ourselves and, and our company than, than going out and trying to, uh, you know, find one on the side of the road and, and, and do all the work yourself. I know that this, that answer sounds a little bit self-serving, but it, it really is true. Uh, I, I think that advice that, that I received a, a long, long, long time ago it really holds true uh, today just as much as it did back then. Great advice, and I've heard that from many of my guests. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Well, my heat, my feet uh, hit the floor every morning at about 5.30. Uh, my, my head is always thinking. My dad used to tell me, write down your ideas and, and set goals and, and review them frequently. It'll help keep you focused. One of my dad's favorite sayings, he used to tell me, he said, if you're not improving you're getting worse. Hmm. In life, things never stay the same. You always try to improve in everything that you do, be it with work, your relationships, anything that you do. I, I think keeping yourself organized, start your day early, uh, staying fresh, and these are all good pieces of advice. Absolutely. You had a great mentor in your father. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of, perhaps a website that you go to often? <laughs> roadstersalon.com. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Well, we'll certainly be uh, posting that up on the show notes page, and I want to remind our listeners that you'll be able to find links to these resources and some of the other ones coming up here in a moment at carsyeah.com slash Ray Markika. And Ray's last name is spelled M-A-R-C-H-I-C-A. Would you share a book with us that you've recently read that you really enjoyed? You know, this is going to sound rather shallow, and it's probably going to give your your listeners the wrong idea, but I can't remember the last time that I had a minute to read anything that wasn't related to our industry. Um, <laughs> I regularly, uh, regularly read Auto Italia, uh, Sports Car Market, Garage Style Magazine, and Hemmings. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, these are all uh, publications that keep me tuned in uh, to our industry, keeps me tuned in to uh, pricing trends, changes. Uh, I like to keep an eye on what some of the um, big auction houses are doing, and uh, just uh, tracking the market for Italian cars in general is is uh, is always very helpful because a lot of our customers like to know, uh, hey, what, what what is this car going to be worth uh, five years down the road or ten years down the road? They're always very interested in in what's happening in the Italian car market, and with how little time that I free time that I have, uh, I think most of it is spent when I'm reading. It's 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 reading something that's related to what we do. Oh, I understand. In fact, we've had uh, guest publishers several of those magazines on our show. Don from Garage Style Magazine. Next week, I'll be interviewing Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine, and I'd love to have somebody from Hemmings on the show as well. But those are great. I think. I think I have 45 car magazine subscriptions I get every month. So uh, if you look oh at God. if you look at the uh, the nightstand next to my bed, and my wife reminds me of it all the time, is it's stacked high with magazines. So yeah, there's some great resources there. Do you have a hobby outside of your passion for cars that you really enjoy? Since my number one hobby has become my my profession, the the, the thing that I'm involved the most with, the secondarily, is I'm a former athlete. I coach 
uh, youth and, and high school football. And oh, great. Uh, it's something that, uh, thank you, it's something that I've been spending a lot of time with over the course of the last uh, uh, 10 years. Uh, during the summers, uh, I do uh, youth camps with several prominent uh, NFL players, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, the Super Bowl winning quarterback there for the last two years. Yeah, uh, go Hawks. Just, they won last night. Yes, sir. Uh, I was right there watching, but uh, Russell and I are good friends, and, and uh, uh, I, I do some uh, camps with him during uh, the summers every year. I also, uh, I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners may remember uh, Joe Namath. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, for quite a few years, you know, he, he's had a camp uh, out uh, in Connecticut that, that he's actually had for about 40 years. He, he does the camps for some underprivileged uh, youth in the, um, in the New York area. I've been lucky enough to, uh, to coach with him for, for quite a few years. Just a, just a great, uh, terrific guy. Here locally in Chicago, I have a, uh, a foundation that, uh, that I run uh, that, that basically uh, brings uh, inner-city youth out to the suburbs. Uh, we have a, uh, a feeder team for one of the local uh, private schools uh, that, I, uh, that I'm a head coach for. We bring these kids uh, out uh, three, four times a week in a, in a little bus, bring them out here and give them an opportunity to play uh, in a league that's, uh, that's a little different than what they play in in the inner city, a little better coaching, a little better equipment to league that's, uh, that's, that's integrated. We just, we just give these kids an opportunity to, to see a life and, and enjoy an experience that's different from uh, the neighborhoods that they live in. And it's, it's a lot of fun for us, and, and it's great fun for the kids. Oh, fantastic. It's a great thing that you do. That's really special. All right, we're up to the checkered flag now, Ray, and this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you want, what would that vehicle be, and why did you choose it? Boy, you're killing me. I'll tell you what, the easy answer, and to try to stay on point, would be I have uh, a 5,000 original mile, 1985 and a half, a Pininfarina Spider that my dad left to me. And it's one of the last dozen or so that was produced and, and one of only uh, 183 that were sent to the United States. Completely original and perfect. And to me, it's priceless. It's uh, an irreplaceable car. Using my dad's words, it's made out of unobtainium. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think I'll ever uh, sell it. But if pressed, and, and answering the question more in the way that you intended, I've always been a, a, a prancing horse fan. I love all things Ferrari. The 365 uh, Daytona uh, is such a, a, a beautiful uh, car. It's, it's one of the ultimate front-engine Ferraris. Uh, maybe a, a 62 California Spider uh, that would look great in my garage. Looking at, at some of the more uh, contemporary Ferraris, the new Italia, uh, I've had an opportunity to drive, and I think it's just an incredible car. And the new uh, La Ferrari, goofy name for a car, but what an incredible bit of rolling technology that car is. It's the hybrid design with the, the almost a thousand horsepower, and what an incredible car that would be. I, I, as I said, if you if you're making it price no object and, and the, the ultimate expression of Italian car technology, uh, boy, that one would be a hard one to turn down. Well, you've given me four cars, so I'm not going to let you off the hook here. You got <laughs> you've got to pick one. Okay. Well, excluding excluding the the Pinin that my dad left to me, I'd say the LaFerrari. There you go. LaFerrari. There you go. Yeah, I had the uh, pleasure while I was down in Monterey during the historic race weekend of following up one up Laurel's grade. 
Uh, luckily, there was a truck in front of him, so I could keep up in my uh, my kind of slow rental car. And oh my gosh, just, I rolled you all. You were the, in a rental car. Well, yeah. Sorry, I was in a rental car, but I I, I stopped at Starbucks, and the guy actually pulled up next to me in a new LaFerrari, and I followed him over the grade down to Laguna Seca Racetrack and rolled all the windows down and listened to that engine and then got to crawl around the car while it was parked in the in the pits. Yeah, very special, fantastic vehicle. So good choice, good choice. I had to press you on that a little bit, but uh, good choice. <laughs> well, Ray, <laughs> well, I was starting to feel a little bad. All these questions were a little bit too easy for you, so we'll have to have you back, and I'll make up some some more difficult questions for you. There you go. Ray, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories and learning more about you and your business. So I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us and with my listeners. If you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that LaFerrari. One piece of advice. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it would be don't be afraid to dream and don't be afraid to aim high. I could ask, you know, how does a, does a guy who – you know, was never never really accomplished much uh, on the on the football field. How are you coaching with Joe Namath? How are you coaching with with Russell Wilson? And the simple answer is, I asked. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, I in both of those cases, I, I, I wrote him letters. I told him a little bit about myself, and uh, you know, I didn't have uh, I'm sure the kind of credentials that uh, that that a lot of the people uh, that they receive inquiries from have, but. But I had a passion for what I wanted to do, and and, and that was helping kids. Oh, and and that's I think great. That, I, I think that that uh, you know being passionate about whatever it is that you do. I'm sure that you know the cliche about uh, you know love what you do, and you, or you'll never and you never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, for entrepreneurs, there is so much truth to that. Yeah. Uh, if if you truly love what you do, you'll work harder. You'll put more time in. You'll do the things that are necessary to be successful. Be passionate, obviously. Uh, that's something that, that I learned at a very young age and uh, something that uh, that my dad taught me. And it's probably uh, the, the character trait that I'm uh, the most proud of. Fantastic advice. I love it. Would you let our listeners know what is the best way for them to learn more about Roadster Salon? Well, uh, we just launched uh, the very latest version of our new website uh, at RoadsterSalon.com. One new uh, avenue that uh, is is going to be happening here in the next probably within the next 30 days is we're launching a companion website uh, called RS Designo and and Designo D E S I G N O in Italian uh, means design. That is our new design, fabrication, and restoration website for all types of Italian cars. So as we grow uh, with the qualifications of uh, our mechanics and and our uh, artisan craftsmen. We're now uh, starting to not only do uh, Fiat and, and uh, Pininfarina Spider restorations, uh, but we're also doing work on Alphas and some Ferrari and Maserati work as well. Plus, you know, there's a huge market for aftermarket tuning and accessories for the little Fiat 500 Abarth as well. So I, I think we're trying to broaden what we do. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously at some point, uh, be it five or ten or twenty years down the road, we're gonna we're gonna run out of really nice, clean Fiat and Pininfarina Spider chassis to build, and we want to be in this for the long haul, so we're, we're, we're starting to do uh, other types of restoration work other than just on the Pinin. Ah, fantastic. Love it. Well, listeners, I'll remind you, you can find links to everything Ray has shared with us today at carsyeah.com slash Ray Markika. Ray, thank you for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and sharing all your stories and experiences with us. 
Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Ciao. Take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.